Welcome to All the Light We Can Carry. Today's topic is relevant to light, but not one to be taken lightly. Our theme for this podcast is laughter, the best medicine, or hangnails, hernias, hemorrhoids, and humor, <laughs> or, <laughs> or grin and bear it. Um, and <laughs> I I'm not going to be your host today because of the uh, parasitic associations with that terminology. So instead, <laughs> I'm going to be <laughs> I'm going to be the director of communications, and Marilee and Linnea are here to be my co-communicators. Marilee and Linnea, this is, this is how <laughs> this is how this is going to work. Okay. I am going to. Oh, what? <laughs> oh, Nothing. Everything is good. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. It's like internet, children. Okay, so I I'm going to read. Marilee, we're going to start with you. I'm going to read okay. you three quotes. Okay. And you're going to you're going to choose one of the quotes. They're all about humor. You're going to choose one of the quotes as sort of a launch pad for thoughts on humor that you would like to share. So hopefully one of these quotes will like sort of be semi-related to some of your thoughts on humor and you could kind of tie them in. So this is kind of a challenge and we're just gonna experimentally <laughs> see how this works because this is why, because the secret to humor is surprise according to Aristotle. So I know neither one of you anticipated what this would be like and surprise, this is how it's gonna <laughs> go. So I'm literally so like getting crawlies up my arms and my back like oh okay I can do this I can do it <laughs> just laugh about it that's that's the medicine okay <laughs> so Linnea Marilee will give a will pick a quote and then attempt to sort of like make some sense of her thoughts in relation to the quote and then once she's come once she's done that then you get to either a, ask her a question based on what she shared, or B, a comment on what she shared. And then depending on how much time that takes, I will do the same. And Linnea, you will also have an opportunity to choose from three quotes and give us a little commentary, like tie that quote into some thoughts on humor. I think this is the hardest primarily because, <laughs> because she's starting us off. And then, yeah, we'll go from there and see how much time that takes. So, Mary Lee, your three quotes. Quote number one, a laugh is a surprise and all humor is physical. I was always athletic, so that came naturally to me. That's Chevy Chase. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> this one is a little, a little less silly. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I'm just thinking he would <laughs> yeah. say that. <laughs> I, know. I know okay this one this quote is from abraham lincoln and it's it's a actually more serious quote that has to do with humor with the fearful strain that is on me night and day if i did not laugh i should die mm -hmm. and this one is from oscar wilde some cause happiness wherever they go others whenever they go <laughs> Know what that means? <laughs> I'm a little concerned what it might mean. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think I don't I don't think that was potty humor. 
<laughs> I'm sure. I, <laughs> I think it was. I think it was more. I think it's more like good riddance. Sorry, I didn't. Yeah, I'm sorry. The oh, no one else thought that. that. I was like trying to be no, demure about that, but sorry. Go ahead, Merrily. Yeah, I'm probably drawn to the Abraham Lincoln one partly because I'm serious. I would say. I would say I love laughing, but looking into laughter and humor and how important it is made me realize I've always kind of known, I've had a sense, if I laugh, I know it's cleansing to me. I, I It feels like physically and emotionally and mentally cleansing. And I feel like, oh, that was so good. I need to laugh more. But yet, in any kind of sense of making it a priority, I haven't. There goes the train. Can you hear the train? <laughs> yeah, today is just a big joke <laughs> for all of us. Uh, behind the scenes, it's been a rough day. You, you know, this podcast is called All the Light We Can Carry. And so we want to find light and carry it with us. And as I looked into all the different things that humor does, kind of, and this jives, I think, with what Abraham Lincoln said, that if we don't have humor in our lives, we will be so, just the darkness of life would overwhelm us, right? In contrast, the light we're trying to carry. <laughs> and so I'd never really noticed to the extent that, like, if I, if I actually want light, then I really need humor. I need the light that that brings to me. I need the fact that it will help me to cope with the darkness that is out there, that it will renew my body so that I have uh, the hope and the energy to to seek light and be light resonant. And I also just want to say I've been, uh, I just ran, a, this is a tangent, sorry, but ran across a book by Carl Sandburg, who I love. I, he's one of my favorite poets. And I didn't know that he had written kind of a biography on Abraham Lincoln. And I started to read it in my heart. I will just say so drawn to Abraham Lincoln. So that's just another reason to, to choose that quote. Yeah. I love that. Thanks. Thanks, Marilee. Linnea, what, what, do, what has what Marilee shared brought to your mind? What thoughts would you contribute to that? Or do you have any questions that, or a question that you would ask in response to what she shared? Like Marilee, so I just read, she referenced an article for us to read before this podcast. And as I'm scanning through it, ironically, just like my gut reaction was, like that tightening up to, like I felt like crying. <laughs> Reading about how how healing humor is. And I think that's because I just really recognize a need for it in myself. So I remember Irma Bombeck said something similarly. I'm thinking, let me see. Okay, she says there's a thin line that separates laughter and pain, comedy and tragedy, humor and hurt. And then E.B. White, and this, I just love this, what he says about humor in an essay called Some Remarks on Humor. Well, first of all, he says, analysts have had their go at humor. And I have read some of this interpretive literature, but without being greatly instructed. <laughs> humor can be dissected as a frog can, but the thing dies in the process. And the innards are discouraging to any but the pure scientific mind. 
<laughs> I think that's funny. <laughs> he says, one of the things commonly said about humorists is that they are really very sad people. Clowns with a breaking heart. There is some truth in it, but it is badly stated. Now he's writing about writing. So that like that's his angle on humor is writing about it or writing with it. It would be more accurate, I think, to say that there is a deep vein of melancholy running through everyone's life. And that is true. And that the humorist, perhaps more sensible of it than some others, compensates for it actively and positively. Humorists fatten on trouble. They have always made trouble pay. <laughs> they struggle mm. along with a good will and endure pain cheerfully, knowing how well it will serve them in the sweet by and by. I just think, I mean, we could all be humorous. Like any, any story, any event, the funniest stories are also the most inconvenient or you know, there's some pain involved. Can I say, it just strikes me as you're talking, oh, there's so much there that I loved, but that if you think about it, it, you have a choice. Something happens and maybe it's painful and difficult, but you have a choice and, and you have to ask yourself, if I don't find humor in it and deal with it in a positive way, well, what am I going to do instead? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and probably what I'm going to do instead is like, uh, in this article that I read, it, it used the word bemoan. <laughs> our, our option is to find humor in something or bemoan it and immediately, well, I have to be honest, I can think of myself bemoaning, but I had this image of my children being like, mom, you know, <laughs> I don't <laughs> and that, that was bemoaning to me. <laughs> but I do that too, you know, seeing the worst in something instead of the best. And I think, you know, what a lovely way to try to deal with something is to find the humor in it. But I think what also, I just wanted to make one more comment. And then the pain of it is, is that there's a recognition that is very vulnerable to find the humor instead. I just feel like one line that comes back to me from an Indigo Girls song, like over and over and over in my life, is there's one of their songs they say, I wrap my pain around me like a blanket. And just that, to me, that embodies so much, like we're just so comfortable with our pain that it's like a blanket to us and we want to hold on to it. And it's a very vulnerable thing to be like, I, I could do something else. I could let this go. I, I could find humor in the moment. And I think that sometimes we're like, if I do that, though, then how can I not? It's like saying this isn't important. <laughs> it's like saying I wasn't hurt. It's like saying this wasn't as bad as I, I wanted to be bad. <laughs> because I want to like justify my emotions about it. And if I just like, I'm like, oh, find humor in it and let it go be lighthearted. then it's like, ah, how can I do that? That's so vulnerable. And yet I, I love the need to consider it as, as it it's a really valid and important pathway. I just, I just want to read one more thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, please. It's sort of relevant, but I just love Evie White so much. I'm the director so of much. communications. You can do this. 
Actually, when I, <laughs> when I, when I think, I think it's one of the things that it, I, he's good at, E.B.Y. is good at just taking even mundane life and just, it, and he just makes it sparkle. It, it goes from like dull brown to a sparkle and that's light just by, and it's the same story. It's, he doesn't change the story. He changes just the angle. You know, he lets the light glance off of it. And this is sort of in response to, you know, that fine line between laughter and like pain and humor. Hey, Linnea, he before says, you read, Linnea, yeah. Before, you, yeah. before you read that, I just, I'm gonna just throw in a quote that I feel like, I love how you said he makes it sparkle coincides with this quote, common sense and a sense of humor are the same thing moving at different speeds. A sense of humor is just common sense dancing. I love it. I, it, I, you said yeah, that. So like, I don't know. <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> no, I, I, I do know, but I don't know who, like Clive Jean. Is that a fame? I mean, a famous person. I don't know. I was like, I just searched quotes on humor, but I love how it fit with what you said about just making it sparkle. This It's kind of this, I think it's creative art in the sense that you can make something, um, like take raw material, take what is, and create something more beautiful from it, that sparkle, that dance. Yeah. Okay, so so now share your quote with us. I just felt like that was a, such a great segue for, for There's that reinforcement. There's a fly. He's drawn <laughs> to me. <laughs> I'm living with a fly. Yeah, I love what I love what you said about so humor is living life creatively like it's like a choice in how you respond to anyway. He says there is often a rather fine line between laughing and crying. And if a humorous piece of writing brings a person to the point where his emotional responses are untrustworthy and seem likely to break over into the opposite realm, it is because humor like poetry has an extra content. <laughs> it plays close to the big hot fire, which is truth. And sometimes the reader feels the heat. I, one of my favorite books of all time is A Girl Named Zippy. One of the reasons that I loved it so much was because it took me to that place where I would be, I was like laughing, crying. <laughs> it did, it spoke the truth in a way that I'm like, like a sparkle. There's a sparkle there, but it's also some pain and all wrapped up into that one response. And I love it. If I were, I dream of writing, you know, a story and that would be, I would love to tell my stories like that. Thank you for that. I, I love that that tie of humor to truth and how when tapping into truth in, in certain ways that just really enables this emotional resonation. It resonates with us emotionally. It can be so profound. That's I I love I love the way that's worded. I love what you shared in your own words too. So I have a question for both of you before we launch into the next set of quotes. Linnea to choose from. You both expressed a sense of 
I don't know, like maybe inadequacy or discomfort as you read about humor and considered your own experiences or your own approach to things. And I'm curious about that. Marilee, you mentioned there being some vulnerability involved in, you know, relinquishing that blanket that we wrap around ourselves of, of pain because it sort of justifies certain things for us maybe. So are you, this is a little more personal, but how would you sort of self-analyze? Why do you think that you're searching regarding humor initially brought up those feelings? Because in my mind, so much of the laughter that I've enjoyed in life has been shared with both of you, with family, and, and you two are really, <laughs> like two of my great friends, we laugh together often. So I'm sort of surprised by that reaction in you. And I, and I want to know why you think you felt that way. Just the, the first thought that came to my head when you, so why do you feel that way? Well, you know, reading a little bit of E.B. White in the context of some of the statements, you know, made in the article that Marilee had us read, an invitation to the dance to a wallflower. Like I, I laugh and I find humor in my life, but I think I also grieve like too much alone. There's just too many mm -hmm. things that I grieve over by myself. I spend too much time bemoaning to, to myself my situation. And, and it was like someone extending their hand and saying, well, come and dance instead. <laughs> You know, so there's that residual, I mean, the grief clings and you're like, you know, as you imagine not being asked to dance ever, <laughs> all the time, the loneliness, and then you are and you feel like crying. <laughs> mm, wow. Although you will be dancing. That is so melodramatic <laughs> of me. I do. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think so. I think that that makes that brings tears to my eyes. I think that's really yeah, that touches my heart deeply. And I think about sometimes potentially, and, and this may not be you. I'm thinking of myself, and I'm curious if it's potentially you as well. But being asked to dance and then finding that the steps are a little foreign can yeah also mm -hmm. be a thing. I don't really yeah. know how to dance, but I don't want to just watch the dance. So. Thank you, actually, for that, for those thoughts. It, that was very personal. I love that. <laughs> I love that you gave us that glimpse into your heart. Seriously, Marilee, what are your thoughts? Laughter is closely tied to play. And mm -hmm. play is where I struggle. And I thought a lot about it. And I, this is something I, I don't understand about myself necessarily, but I have a deep fear of doing it wrong. Kind of like what you just said, like I might do the steps wrong. And so I've, I've recognized for myself that I, I like play when there's rules to it. <laughs> like I can play basketball because I can learn the rules. I can learn the steps and I can know what to do. And I can really love that. Or I can play softball with my kids but even then tied into that play is this fear of doing it wrong and exposing myself there's a rational part of me that knows that that's like i don't need to worry about that surely no one is judging me if i do it a little wrong and then there's a deep part of me that's like but i feel so exposed <laughs> and i thought like my daughters take dance classes and 
in dance classes, you, you're asked to freestyle. And some kids really are good with that. They're just naturally willing to put themselves out there. And some kids just hate it. It's so vulnerable to freestyle. And play, playing is sometimes freestyle, <laughs> you know? And I guess mostly I'm saying I don't, I don't completely understand it. I just know that it is. And there's this big part of me that is like Linnea that I'm just like, I want to jump into the dance. I really want to. But it's it feels like a bigger leap than it looks like. <laughs> you know, we're like jumping off a cliff than just like, you know, a little stepping into the pool or something. It's, it feels big. When you were talking about us laughing together a lot as a family, as I was learning about humor, I was like, it really uh, cemented to me how important good family relations are because you laugh with people that you love. And if you don't have a lot of people around that you love, then you're not going to have a lot of people around that you laugh with. Laughing comes easiest with people you know are going to accept you and get you and understand you, your quirky humor, <laughs> you yeah. know, and that that happens in a family. On the flip side of that, it, it can be really bonding for a family. Like I know if I'm grumpy with my husband and I'm wondering about our relationship, if something happens that we laugh together, it's such a relief. I'm like, oh, we are okay. <laughs> it's like this huge evidence to me that we're, we're okay and we're right together. If we can laugh together, then we're right together. It's like this deep understanding and connection. It's an evidence of that. It seems like on the one hand, you you want to be with people you're comfortable with so you can laugh. And on the other hand, I have a sense that if I would focus on bringing in more laughter, that that would heal more relationships and I would have more people to laugh with. <laughs> like it's a positive yeah. feedback loop. Yeah, I feel like laughter can establish camaraderie too. We worked for dad some of the time, um, harvesting. And I'm trying to remember, we were harvesting a research plot of wheat and I can't remember the guy's name. It wasn't Mike, but there was another guy that we worked with. I wish I could remember his name, but he just seemed kind of stiff to me. And I felt like he was uncomfortable around me and I wasn't very comfortable with him. He was on the Columbine and it was a miniature Columbine because it was a small plot of wheat. And he's sitting and it's, you know, hot summer day, not a cloud in the sky, no one else in the world but us, me holding a bag, you know, to catch the wheat. And he's driving the Columbine. So boring, so tedious, you know, back and forth and back and forth. And suddenly this wind comes up and he has an umbrella to shade him as he's sitting up on the Columbine, the wind comes up and it blows his umbrella inside out, just out of nowhere. And I look up at him and he's looking at me and we're both like laughing. You know, there's this mm -hmm. element of surprise, this unexpected after all of this boring tedium. And it was so refreshing. And yeah, and it was a connection. Yeah, I really, I still remember. It's still funny to me, even though telling the story doesn't sound funny. <laughs> so I love that yesterday as I was reading some some of those articles about humor 
in preparation for the conversations, what you guys are saying is so your own experiences just validate scientific research that we're much less likely to laugh alone. That makes sense. Um, <laughs> that, that <laughs> and how it does create bonds between people and strengthen relationships. And also, like Linnea pointed out, well, it can strengthen bonds and create bonds. I read a quote from a, some celebrity about how it's a basis for democracy because it kind mm. of puts people on an even playing field when they can mm -hmm. laugh together. It sort mm -hmm. of undermines social hierarchy, which may be part of what you felt as, you know, an adolescent working with this adult, that he wasn't that much older than you, right? If right. Person, I'm no. sure yeah. listening to. But there's this kind of, you're too young to really be his peer. and But laughing together kind of just kind of diminished that separation of other boundaries. Mm -hmm. And it kind of brought you to the same place. And mm -hmm. what kind of led into this when I asked you both, well, what, so why ha did you feel sort of this discomfort about around this conversation with humor initially? This is not as relevant now because we kind of bypassed some of the things you said, but I feel like it ties in. And so if you can remember some of your <laughs> your own thoughts and feelings that you just shared, this is this is Lucille Ball. I'm not funny. What I am is brave. Uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I mean, I mean in, in terms of the awkwardness of the dance and and having a sense of relinquishing that blanket. Um, exposing this vulnerability, am I okay with making myself vulnerable in that way? And and one other quote that I feel like kind of sort of before we move to our next set of quotes, maybe captures some of a lot of what I, I feel like was discussed in this little segment. And this is uh, Jeffrey R. Holland. He says, we can't always choose what we look at, i.e. our circumstances, but we can choose what we see. Yeah. And that willingness to be vulnerable, to dance, to be brave in that way that you guys described, I think is part of part of what we see. And in terms of all the light we can carry and how we've talked about truth being light that illuminates and brings clarity to what we see. I love that God gave us a gift of humor to have an option of seeing things in a way that dances that sparkles even though in truth it could be something to bemoan but he gives us the option i i just think that's so loving so tender of, yeah of, of father in, in heaven something about what you said and then lamea said earlier about the the moments when we want to laugh and cry at the same time and how Ah, there's some of the best moments that you carry them with you, you know, and I love this discussion about the, this thin line, you know, between laughter and pain. And I just, thinking about humor, the, a particular experience came to my mind and I was like, why would this come to my mind? Because it definitely was an experience that was on that line. And yet it's so, it's just a treasure, a precious moment to me. And that's uh, years ago, I was a nurse and I worked in a nursing home and I worked in the memory care unit. And so a lot of patients with Alzheimer's and dementia and, you know, I don't know, it's going to make me cry, but I loved that experience. I think it's a hard, hard thing for families to 
have family members go through those kinds of changes and, and the loss and everything. But when you're a nurse in that situation, you just get to know people as they are in the moment and you don't know who they were before. And so you get to just love them as they are, you know, without the burden of the loss of who they right. were. Right. And so I guess that's just important to me of the context of the story, but there was this lady we'll call her Betsy and she was very skinny because she just had gotten to the point where she didn't want to eat anymore. And we would constantly, every time we walked past her, we would have a protein drink in our hand and just give her a drink <laughs> every time we wow. went past her. But she would walk right behind me all over. She just was restless little soul and didn't want to sit down either. And so, so close behind me that if I stopped, she would run right into my back. <laughs> but I just got used to her as like my little companion, just right behind me, following me around, asking me random questions, just being right there with me. And I, that grew to be a love. And then one day, I was with her. She was right behind me like that. And I turned to her and she just said to me, she said, if I see you in heaven, I'll be where the dandelions are. That's how you'll find me. I was like, oh, yeah, me too. I'm totally going to be where the dandelions are. And I'll find you there. It's a date. And so, yeah, it was just this moment of like, that was so sweet and it was kind of funny and it was so tender. It was just like all those great things like wrapped up in one ball. When I thought of humor, that moment came back to me for some reason. Mm, that was a beautiful experience. Thank you. I, I love how that captures. I love that story. Those elements that we're talking about. Yeah, where the dandelions grow. And it feels, I almost feel irreverent to transition from that because it's just a beautiful experience. Let's see if we can find some, dig some more up as we keep talking. So, Linnea, here are your three quotes. Quote number, number one, I refuse to have a battle of wits with an unarmed man. That's Oscar Wilde. <laughs> <laughs> Shakespeare Shakespeare said something almost exactly the same. I would challenge thee to a battle of wits, but I see you are unarmed. <laughs> oh. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. I yeah, but it's something like that. I accidentally forgot to write down the source of this quote. Hopefully, no one will sue me because whoever said it is dead. But I don't know. I don't know who said it. The secret source of humor is not joy, but sorrow. There is no humor in heaven. And this one is, a sense of humor is good for you. Have you ever heard of a laughing hyena with heartburn? And that was Bob Hope. <laughs> <laughs> so which quote, which quote do you want to use to explore some of your other thoughts? Uh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> is there humor in heaven? Is humor good for you? And okay, so the second I... quote I take exception oh. to, so maybe I'll talk about that because okay. I think there has to be humor in heaven. I mean, just thinking okay. about that, you know, it ends here. So, what we know about God, you know, He's our Father. <laughs> this we know, and He loves all of His children. And his work is endless. 
so he will always have sad moments. Like there will never be a time where he doesn't like if he's infinitely, I don't know, maybe that's just really deep, dark doctrine and I'm going out on a limb there, but I just think there will be a necessity for humor always. And you say necessity, <laughs> but so explain, explain that choice of word and the set, there will always be a necessity for humor. Where you are vulnerable to be wounded and to have grief, there has to be, there has to be a way out. There has to be a way to cope. There has to be something to make it lovely. Yeah, I don't know what the eternities hold, but wherever God is, is heaven. So I'm just, I'm like being, I'm trying to parse this out. The heavens wept with, you know, the prophet Enoch when he looked out over all of creation and saw all of the hatred and misery that the children of God were causing one another or, you know, causing themselves. So there has to be, <laughs> there has to be humor. I think I love this. I love this kind of parsing it out together. Marilee, what, given that foundation from Linnea, what, what, where do you go with that? Yeah, well, the, the same thing kind of stood out to me. Like, I think that when we had kind of an initial conversation about this, where we were asked, do you think that God has a sense of humor? And I think what Linnea is saying is like, if there's a darkness, there has to be an equal light. And so humor, it, it balances the darkness. And I just think for myself, like, especially looking more into humor and it has, it has all these health benefits. It's like some of them, you know, I think that God is, loves symbolism. There's this cool tie to symbolic things and real things with God. And one of the things that in this article that I read, it says that laughter protects the heart. <laughs> and, I just think that's a cool symbol and a cool reality, both. And I mean, there was just thing after thing after thing of that laughter is healing. It, it makes your immune system more robust. It protects your heart. And so to me, if it heals relationships, it bonds us together, all of those things. So if laughter is so beneficial and humor is so beneficial, it's such a great vehicle for collecting light. Why would that go away in heaven? Right. You know, it seems like this essential part of heaven. If, if heaven could be symbolically the collection of all light, <laughs> all light is collected and that's what heaven is then then you would say absolutely humor has to be a part of it and then if humor is represents the collection of all light and god is the source of all light then you would have to say well then yeah god has a sense of humor and then you look at some certain things in nature and you think uh-huh he does <laughs> have a sense of humor <laughs> like like the platypus for example yeah <laughs> <laughs> What? Well, and like, like, honestly, like giving us children that, that make us laugh, you know, I don't know, like, he even though I guess you can't find like blatant evidence of God laughing himself, he gives us things to make us giggle. 
you know? And he makes it like, I'm going to guess that laughter is universal in every single culture, that there aren't human beings that laughter is innate for, at least unless it's like snuffed out by the darkness of experience. But I would say, you know, so if God planted that in our hearts, this innate ability to laugh and to find humor in things, again, that all kind of comes back to, well, then God values humor. It's essential to him, and it would be part of his character as well. Linnea, what, what would, what, how would you respond to those thoughts as you kind of um, sort through your own? <laughs> I just have a sense that, you know, part of the power of humor and how it, how we could say that it is godly <laughs> is its power to alchemize mm. tough relationships to change them from onerous you know as an o-n-e-r-o-u-s <laughs> aggravating grievous painful to just you know we keep saying sparkling one of E.B. White's essays, and this is sort of mundane, but I love it. It's a tribute to the Model T. And he would have written it, I think it was like 1936. So the Model T was on its way out. And he was, he's talking about how you, at that time, that year, there were less parts for sale of the Model T in the Sears Robot catalog than ever before. You know, there, newer things were coming and it, it was time to say goodbye. But as he, he writes about his experience and sort of like he's sort of recapping the experience of, you know, a nation with the Model T, he admits that it was hardly reliable. <laughs> he did, and it's such a funny read. Okay, read some parts. Yeah, please do. So my point being that the Model T was, yeah, not reliable. It was difficult to drive. He says, the lore and legend that governed the Ford Model T were boundless. Owners had their own theories about everything. They discussed mutual problems in that wise, infinitely resourceful way old women discuss rheumatism. <laughs> exact, exact knowledge was pretty scarce and often proved less effective than superstition. Dropping a camphor ball into the gas tank was a popular expedient. <laughs> it seemed to have a tonic effect on both man and machine. I remember that the timer was one of the vital organs about which there was ample doctrine. <laughs> when everything else had been checked, you had a look at the timer. It was an extravagantly odd little device, simple in construction, mysterious in function. It contained a roller <laughs> held by a spring, and there were four contact points on the inside of the case against which many people believed the roller rolled. <laughs> I have had a timer apart on a sick Ford many times, but I never really knew what I was up to. I was just showing off before God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he talks about how people were superstitious. They thought that their Model T could be hexed. They would kick it in the tires and walk away from it like a horse and let it cool off, you know, and then it would drive well. And that just like reinforced their superstition. And he talks about the number one ball bearing in I don't know what part, but Apparently, the Model T didn't have, like, 
our engines today, you know, you put oil in and it lubricates everything. The Model T engine would slosh. So while you were going uphill, things might like get dry and hot. And then when you went back downhill, so the oil would slosh around. But by the end of it, you just have a sense of this nostalgia. Like he's applied humor to this. I'm sure people were aggravated. <laughs> they couldn't rely on this car. But you can just see someone saying, oh, those were the days, you know, and really meaning it. And I feel like that's what humor does for any situation, for, you know, looking back at raising your children. Well, something came up the other day, a conversation with some friends. A friend checked in on Marco Polo and she says, it's been a rough day. My toddler found nail polish. And enough said, you don't even have to know <laughs> what happened if a toddler finds nail polish, it's bad. And it reminded me of the time that Ezra found my, my red lipstick discard drawer. I was always searching for the perfect red lipstick and could never find it. And I would put, you know, each tube in the top drawer of the, anyway, he found them. He found my lipsticks and he colored his whole trunk this whole belly with red lipstick. <laughs> and we had just like the year before something replaced all of the carpet in the house with a beautiful white Berber. <laughs> and he slid down the stairs on his belly. <laughs> and he, I don't know why, like that, that made sense. But also there was red lipstick all over the hallway. I'm like, what did he like, you know, <laughs> army crawl or something but we love it's a great story it's a great story and it, i love that i have it it's great because it's been alchemized mm. I, I love that Linnea. i love that um alchemy tie-in that that's really beautiful <laughs> to me i just and when you're talking about ezra and the lipstick chandler recently sent a video to our family text thread i don't know if it was you or merely someone just said how children help us laugh, which I absolutely agree with. So the prelude to this video was a text from Chandler and she said, kind of like, she wrote it like a script, Maisie. Maisie comes to her and says, mom, I am a hundred percent sorry for, for what happened with your flower. <laughs> no, 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 sorry. I'm a hundred percent sorry about your flower. And, and then I watched, we watched the video and Parker Bell, I Chandler and Doug have nest cams, so if they're not in the room where their kids are, they can kind of look in on them. And I said, Chandler, you have to go back and get the recording from that nest cam so that we can see what really happened. Because <laughs> they all they you know what they saw was this. I'm a hundred percent sorry. So <laughs> Parker Bell in the video is covered with. It turns out it wasn't flour; it was powdered sugar. From her head <laughs> to her toes, she looked like she was ghosted. She was all white. And Maisie was very clean. So, <laughs> um, and and so so Doug actually, uh, there's a second video. And Doug went downstairs with the girls. He said, "So show me, show me what happened. What did you guys? What happened with the flower?" And they took him downstairs and they said, "Well." we were cooking over here and they <laughs> they gave him sort of a tour and then we went camping so there's this little their little play kitchen and there's sugar everywhere powdered sugar and, and then they took him over to another 
sec section of this downstairs playroom and and they open the flap to this little tent they have down there and there's all these animals coated in powdered sugar the floor <laughs> is coated in powdered sugar and doug is trying so hard not to laugh um i i loved that they you know they chose to just see the humor in this and back to the the model t and evie evie white i just i feel like this quote in my mind is relevant this is horace walpole do you know who that is this is what Horace had to say. Imagination was given to man to compensate him for what he isn't. A sense Aww. of humor, a sense of humor was provided to console him for what he is. <laughs> I, I feel like E.B. White sort of combined imagination, you know, the, the, the sort of superstitions and with, um, <laughs> The imagination with what what man isn't with the humor in terms of what he is and in terms of what the model T really was. And anyway, I just thought, oh, that fits this quote. So I was going to throw it in there. Marilee, did you have any response to what Linnea shared before we jump on? What What are you thinking? No, mostly what you just said just made me think like in the article that I read about humor, one of the things that I loved and I felt like it's really true was it, it just mentions that humor is really essential for creativity. And I I totally have experienced that. If you're feeling tense and angry or depressed or whatever, all of those block creativity. But if you are with a group of people and you're laughing and there's just an openness that invites this flow for creativity, because you're just like ideas. Oh, what about this? And what about that? That to me is just another evidence of how essential it is for life because because we want to be creators. We want to have ideas of how to make things better or create beauty or create fun or, you know, just create. And so I, I really liked that last quote that you shared. It brought that back to me. And I felt like the, the things that I looked at, it was one of the big motivations to me of like, yeah, I really need to do this. I need to purposely say I'm going to invite humor and laughter more fully into my life because it's a it's like plugging into this creative outlet that is for me is super valuable, something I really want in my life. I, I like that analogy, plugging in to this outlet, creative outlet. I was just thinking as you were speaking, oh yeah, of course, humor is a conduit for light and there's a you can plug it in as a for creative outlet. That's really cool. And in terms of God having a sense of humor, Ecclesiastes chapter three, the scripture, I feel like I couldn't articulate quite yet why, but it has always just resonated with my soul in a way that speaks peace to me. To everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. To me, that reaffirms where we started with Linnea's feeling that if there's a God that weeps, there's a God who laughs. And if scripture comes from him, then he verifies that for us. And I wanted to just affirm what you had shared, Linnea, with that. 
Okay, so that's, that is kind of the end of my quotes. Does anyone have a final thought, a final word that you want to share on this topic before we say goodbye? Well, Leah, so this, this podcast idea was your idea. And as you know, as soon as it was, you brought it to the table, I'm like, yes, this would be Leah's idea. <laughs> because of everyone in the family, I you're just one of the siblings that really stands out of just inviting humor into your life regularly. Like it seems to be one of the ways that you cope, one of the ways that you create bonds. And I had a sense that it didn't, it didn't mean as much to me as now I, I know it should. Like David, my husband, is this very common for him to be like, somebody tell a joke. And then he looks around at us and we're all silent. He's like, you, no one knows a joke? Come on, tell a joke. And I, so I'll read jokes and then I can never remember them. So here, this is how I want to end. This is going to be my, I'm going to be brave like Lucille Ball. <laughs> well, oh, yes. here, I, I think one thing that proves our bravery and our sense of humor is that we're doing a podcast with like zero technical knowledge. <laughs> we're just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so everyone, if anyone watches this, they can laugh along with us at that. <laughs> but I'm going to be brave and vulnerable, and I'm going to share the one joke that I always remember. <laughs> um, <laughs> so here it is. So <laughs> there's two old ladies sitting on their porch, rocking their rocking chairs, and one of them is like, Ethel, I found a lump in my breast. <laughs> and Gertrude is like, oh no, Ethel, <laughs> what'd you do? And Ethel says, well, I went to the doctor. <gasps> you did what the doctor say. <laughs> Well, <laughs> turned out it was just my belt buckle. <laughs> anyway, I <laughs> I think I love that joke again because I worked in a nursing home and so I'm and I'm getting older and everything is sagging more and I so I know the reality of that and I love finding humor. <laughs> And that's, so there's my vulnerable moment. <laughs> Yay! That was awesome. I think I can remember that joke. I'm not great at remembering jokes either, so that was that was fun. Thank you, Marilee. Linnea, how about for you? What is your final word on the matter? The final word on the matter? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have enjoyed this conversation. And I... Do you want to hear a knock-knock joke? Don't do that to me. <laughs> I know that joke. Because <laughs> next you would say, okay, you start. <laughs> I, it's the worst joke ever. Were you going to do that? Is remember. that your... uh -huh. Oh, yeah, my goodness. You guys remember. And Marcel never <laughs> remembered. Marcel never did. She was starting not no. knocking. You'd be like, <laughs> she'd look at me like, it's your joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. I totally, I totally made you lose your train of thought there. I just go ahead. Oh sorry. no, you you're remember? fine. Can you pull it back. I, can I pull it back? <laughs> uh, one of the things that um, the article that Marilee had us read that we keep referencing without actually, I don't think ever anyone actually 
quoted from it or they just reaffirmed all the truth all the truth we, that I had yeah it's all there I mean, it really did yeah I just think of the nonsense of some self-help books and some self-help articles of you know how to win a lover in 10 days or <laughs> <laughs> how to make a perfect cheesecake with two ingredients or <laughs> <laughs> just yeah how to get rid of athletes feet with mouthwash just you know there's just all this nonsense out there just at the outset of any article like that I'm like okay what are they gonna dish out to me about you know what how to accomplish this thing it was a good article though just in you know talking about all the benefits of humor and laughter and in the end I know because I've tried this, that even just choosing to smile in a hard moment, it actually does, like it physically, it changes energy, it changes the experience, just smiling. And you can choose to be like, okay, this is, I'm so upset. I'm so frustrated. I'm so hurt. What lighthearted thing can I pull out of this? It, it's a choice, but it takes you to another place. It does, it physically changes where you're at and how you're feeling. And, and I can do that. That's something I can do. And that I want to do. Can I say what in this article, one of the things that it says like to develop a sense of humor, it says go to a laughter yoga class and when I first read that I was like what that's a laughter yoga class <laughs> but then I thought of that game where you uh you get a, a chain of people that lying on the floor and you're connected because everyone's head is on each other's stomach like so that you're is connected head to stomach head to stomach head to stomach and all you do is like one person says ha and then your head bounces up and down and you start to laugh. <laughs> and then everybody is laughing and it's so cathartic and so healthy. And sometimes you just play that game just because you want to laugh. When I thought of that, I was like, okay, yeah, a laughter yoga class could work. <laughs> and it could be a good thing. And we wouldn't need to be embarrassed. We could tell everyone, I go to laughter yoga. <laughs> and they would start to laugh. <laughs> it could be a big movement. <laughs> And everyone would watch the laughter yoga, and then we would have world peace. Uh, <laughs> I'm behind you, Marilee. <laughs> and and if you know how when you go to exercise classes, they offer variations. So, like, if you can't handle this, then here's a variation for you. I, I feel like. I can absolutely guarantee that if someone wasn't quite comfortable with personal space issues and they didn't want their head on my belly, <laughs> that yeah, if I if I went to any class and did yoga, I feel like people could laugh because of <laughs> when, when Chandler and I have tried to do some Pilates stuff together, we end up just laughing and we cannot we cannot do it. I mean, we we can't do it because we laugh because we can't do it. So anyway, yeah, your yoga left. I can see Mary. I can see like a lot of variations on that on that idea. But that's so that's so funny. My last thought on the matter is actually, ironically, a little more serious. As I was 
thinking about your intros to my first questions or quotes. And well, no, before we got started, I guess, and when you both kind of said, oh, this was a little, a little uncomfortable for me launching into this, I don't know, review of humor and this exploring humor. When I read that scripture in Ecclesiastes to you, it occurs to me kind of what what you said, Linnea, about, well, there's just opposition in all things. If there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And merely when you said, pointed out, well, this was my idea to talk about humor and how that seems consistent to you with how you know me. There have been times for me where uh, where laughing seems to come fairly naturally for me. And and I actually can cry pretty readily. But when, uh, like, for example, when we took Chandler to school, to BYU, and we dropped her off, I couldn't cry. And I felt sort of broken. But it was like my mind didn't know how to really process that as readily as I can process laughter. And I felt, and I was sort of making jokes, but feeling like this, sense of the significance of the moment, but not knowing really how to emotionally process it. Which is all to say that, whereas you both feel a little awkwardness in the dance of humor, I'm grateful that in our individual personalities and attributes, as we try to develop a fullness of the attributes of God, that we have different strengths and weaknesses. Because whereas you want to laugh more readily, You've both shown me how to see more deeply in a way that I think helps me know, is helps me to uh, learn how to feel things that aren't as innate to me as sometimes laughter has been. Isn't that interesting that it can go both ways? But there is a time to mourn and a time to weep. And to be able to do that is a gift and it can be healing to weep. It can be healing to mourn just like it's healing to laugh. and. So while, while you both work on wanting to develop a more ready reflex for humor, just know that I'm grateful for how you've kind of helped me process some deeper feelings that I'm, are uncomfortable for me to explore in a way that humor might sometimes feel a little uncomfortable to you. That's what I want to share for my last word on <laughs> laughter, the best medicine. So. Thank you for having this conversation with me. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say I love that you brought that up, the, the balance in all things, that like being a fully rounded person, I think that was a beautiful bit, a way to wrap it up, mm -hmm. and I appreciate it a lot. I agree. Thank you. Well, thank you. I love these conversations. I don't know. I don't know what happens when they go out into the universe, but for here and for now, they are just really sweet and therapeutic for me. So yeah, yeah. That, that is it for us today on All the Light That We Can Carry. Thank you. Bye.